0: Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. The final from Great American Ballpark in Cincinnati. It's the Cincinnati Reds 7, the Cleveland Guardians 2. I'm Davey Barris, lifelong Cleveland baseball fan, and I want to talk about the actual game on the field, the thing I enjoy, watching baseball being played. See, I told you these two-game series just aren't enough baseball. Don't you want want one more game to decide the series? Come on. Don't, Don't you want to see the Reds and Guardians go at it one more time? I guess we're going to have to wait till they come to Cleveland because this was not our night. And you're probably saying, yeah, baby, we committed four errors. Clearly, this was not our night. Uh, that is a pretty good indication. The other thing uh, is watching, uh, watching Bo Naylor and Jose Ramirez strike out on pitches right down the middle of the plate. That kind of let me know that this also was not going to be... Uh, Cleveland's night. It'd be the last uh, inning. Andrew Abbott, the phenomenal rookie for the uh, for the uh, Cincinnati Reds. It would be his last inning, the fifth inning, and man, he would just wow. I just kind of attack Bo Naylor, and he uh, he fouls off a sweeper at the top of the zone uh, for strike one. He lays off a sweeper away. Lays off a fastball high. For some reason, takes a four seam fastball right down the middle of the plate. I mean, it's a 92 mile per hour pitch, and then fouls off a four seam fastball. Foul tips it into the glove right down the middle of the plate at 92.4. I, how does that? How does that happen? This, this isn't this isn't a hundred mile per hour cutter. You know, this is a 92 mile per hour four seamer right down the middle of the plate. Uh, and then after uh, Quan would fly out, Jose Ramirez would be the last batter that Andrew Abbott would face. Uh, now, Ramirez has a decent day. I mean, he goes two for four. The The experiment in the two hole is working. He, he gets to come up with Miles Straw on second base, and he uh, singles into left field and drives in that first run of the game for us. So he, he goes two for four. He doesn't have a bad day. But here in the fifth inning, uh, does work a seven pitch at bat. Uh, he's trying to attack him down and in with sweepers a lot in this at bat. He sees three sweepers down and in. And that's probably what throws off his timing here. Because uh, he had just fouled off a sweeper down and in at his knees. Um, and then he comes back with a changeup middle-middle. And he swings through it. So m- maybe, maybe he didn't read changeup out of the hand. Maybe he thought another sweeper was coming. Uh, So he was waiting for that pitch to break in, and it never does. Something throws off Jose Ramirez's timing here. Uh, He did have a fastball on this at-bat that was middle-middle that he fouled off as well, the third pitch of the at-bat. So he's probably kicking himself that he didn't hit that one and then ends up with a changeup, I mean, right down the middle of the plate, and he swings through it for strike three. And uh, Andrew Abbott's final batter he faces on the day. So that kind of let me know, man, this is not going to be Cleveland's day. I, we were already down at that point. It was already, that was the uh, top of the fifth. We were down five to two. Um, so it was still a ball game. Still anyone's game at five to two, I would say. They go on to add runs in the bottom of the fifth and sixth, thanks to our sloppy defense. Uh, so uh, they go in and extend that lead at seven to two. It pretty much was out of hand. Um, yeah, Andrew Abbott was pretty much as good as advertised. He only goes five innings. Uh, I'm not shocked. Uh, you know, he has Hamilton went on a long run at the beginning of the game about the rookie pitcher, about the amount of innings he's thrown already. And he's already surpassed last year. And how many more innings can he go? So he only goes five innings in this one. Gives up six hits, two earned runs, no walks, five strikeouts. He does give up a solo home run to Gabriel Arias on 84 pitches. He is hard hit, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven times. So I would say as advertised from the uh, lefty rookie pitcher. I mean, he's basically their Tanner Bybee, right? He's kind of the National League's Tanner Bybee right now. Uh, Came up and has just been pretty filthy uh, since reaching the major leagues. Uh, On the other side of things, Noah Syndergaard did not pitch well. He was stuck in the middle of the plate a lot. And that's why he only lasts four and a third innings. Gives up eight hits, six runs, five earned, two walks, three strikeouts, eh, two home runs given up. Those were bad. 97 pitches. He is hard hit. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight times. And I'm just telling you, looking at the illustrator here, He's just stuck in the middle of the plate a ton. Change-ups middle of the plate, sliders middle of the plate. That two-seam sinker, I mean, middle, middle of the plate. And you're just, you're going to get hit around a lot when you do that. Uh, actually, frankly, Andrew Abbott was in the middle of the plate a lot with his fastball. Uh, but like we saw with Ramirez and Bo Naylor, it didn't matter. Uh, but he... Uh, he did work the outside edge a little bit with his changeup. Uh, the curveball, Andrew Abbott kept down. The slider he did, the sweeper, I'm sorry, did reach across to the other edge of the plate. So, uh, yeah, he probably did live a little bit too much in the middle of the zone with that fastball. But he's he's able to make it work for him. Syndergaard, so when we go over and we flip over to the results and see where all the hits he gave up, a lot of stuff middle of the plate. Uh, A a couple of those singles are right at the thighs, right at the belt. Uh, The home runs, he gives up. The two home runs, he gives up. The one to Stuart Fairchild is a slider that slides right back into the middle of the plate. I mean, really, right right at the thighs, just below the belt, right down the middle of the plate. And then the other one to McLean is a changeup that's up at the letters. And I just probably not a great location for a changeup kind of a hanging changeup as well. That McLean shoots out at 107.6 miles per hour, uh, to left field. Uh, Fairchild's was at 103.5 miles per hour. I'm guessing both of these were close to 30 out of 30 ballparks. Yeah, both, uh, McLean's was 29 out of 30. Fairchild's was 30 out of 30 ballparks. These would have been home runs. Uh, Arias does respond. He gets a home run, uh, kind of reaches kind of reaches for an outside pitch from the lefty, and it's really, really encouraging to see Arias uh, hammer a lefty because the splits haven't really been there for Gabriel Arias. Uh, you'd, you'd think the right-handed hitting infielder would be able to at least beat up on lefties. That's not really the way his splits... Uh, have gone really for his whole career. Um, checking on the numbers right now and where they're at this season. Uh, off of left-handed pitching, actually, it's a pretty pretty even split. Is 121 at bats against righties to 75 at bats against lefties, so it's not that skewed of a difference. He's batting 0.80. 0.80. He does have two home runs but he's batting under uh, under 100. He's batting 0.80 off lefties with a 339 OPS. Whereas off righties, he's hitting 273 with an 808 OPS. I mean, that is the reverse splits of the century right there. Like that makes no sense. Uh he's he's a DC, he's a he's an above average hitter against right on right, but le- right on left he is I mean, bottom barrel of the league that makes no sense uh but he does get a homer here off the lefty uh it's a changeup that sits right on the outside edge of the plate and Arias shows you the strength he's got strength when he when he connects when he actually picks up the ball and uh, connects and hits it at 106.4 uh four 29 degree launch angle 429 feet to pretty much dead center field Um, and especially we needed that after uh, Friedel, the center fielder, had made two amazing catches in center field, uh, robbing hits from guys trying to go to center field earlier in the game. So we really needed that from from, uh, Gabriel Arias. Unfortunately, it's only a solo home run. They just got done in the bottom of the fourth, hitting a couple of two-run home runs, And you can see the difference that home runs make in Great American Ballpark. I told you you're going to have to hit home runs to win in Great American Ballpark. And the Reds do it. The Reds do it and the Guardians don't have enough firepower to catch up. Now, that's not to take anything away from Ramon Laureano because he does put a good swing on it. Let's be honest. We talked about this too, talking about splits. Ramon Laureano hits lefties like he mashes lefties and uh there is a spot for him as a right-handed batter on this team against lefties if you know we ever get to a point where we actually are doing uh that kind of platoon right now it's just about getting rookie hitters as many at bats as possible and seeing what you have for next year but uh there could come a situation where we actually get into a platoon and actually do it the right way And, uh, I mean, he gets a single off him in his first at bat off of Abbott In his next at bat, he comes up and he flies out to end the third inning. It would have been a two run, uh, would have been a, would have been a two run home run or a three run home run. How many guys? Oh no. Straw had already scored in the third. That's right. Uh, Ramirez had just singled in straw. Uh, so it would have been a two run home run. It's 103.2 mile per hour exit velocity, 31 degree launching, a 408 feet to dead center field. Would have been a home run in 14 out of 30 ballparks, a 730 expected batting average, but you didn't expect TJ Friedel. And what do I tell you when you're watching outfielders? Look in their eyes. And Friedel, I got to say, I mean, the level of difficulty on this catch is 10 out of 10. But look in his eyes. He's pretty confident tracking this baseball. His eyes tell you, I, I have this ball the whole way. Now, whether or not I can jump this wall and actually come down with it, that's, that's a, you know, who knows. But he saw the ball the whole way. He knew he was tracking it. He knew it. He looked pretty darn confident when he leapt over that wall that he was going to come down with that thing. So, uh Man, watch the outfielder's eyes. They'll tell you everything you need to know about whether or not they're coming up with that catch or not. So, sucks for Ramon Laureano. Uh, Should have been a two-run home run. Would have, I mean, really would have changed this game. Really, I mean, that was a huge, huge pivot point in this game because we had just tied the game at 1-1. to Can you imagine we go up 3-1? to It's a big boost. It's a big boost for everybody. Um. So, yeah, so unfortunately the offense... Man, we really can't get cooking against their bullpen at all. Uh, Fernand, I mean, they all come in and just play shutdown baseball. Uh, Cruz, Sam Mole, uh, Derek Law, and Alan Busen, I No clue. I told you I'm catching up on these Reds players. No clue who these guys are. But uh, Cruz, two strikeouts in his sixth inning. Mole, two strikeouts in his seventh inning. Uh, law and Busanitz both give up hits, but they shut them down pretty efficiently. Busanitz gets out of the ninth on nine pitches. It helps to get a uh, ground ball double play from Tyler Freeman after Rokio had singled. Um, so yeah, so uh, we're no match for that vaunted Reds bullpen, I guess. So the discouraging thing about this game is the sloppiness, right? Uh, you get errors from four different guys. You get an error from Rokio who boots one, uh, Bo Naylor who drops the throw on the throw home on what should have been a double play. Uh, instead, the run comes in to score. Um, so, uh, it, yeah, it looked like an easy out at home at, at home. And instead uh, the run comes in to score. Uh, so that sucks. I mean, it was a play where it was a ground ball to first base. Uh, We get it. We step on first base. Arias gets it, steps on first base, throws home. All he's got to do is slap a tag on him, and he just can't catch the ball cleanly. It just pops right out of his glove. So that sucks. Uh, Naylor did have a rough day. There was another one where there was a double steal, and the ball pops out of his glove, um, trying to make that throw to third. Then you've got Ramirez booting one straight at him at third base. I, I don't see that very often. And then they give Quan an error on a throw. I'm guessing it's his throw home where it's just, it's behind home plate and it, it pulls uh, Bo Naylor back across. It was so close. I mean, the throw beat the runner. The throw was going to beat the runner. And it's really hard to give a guy an error on a throw that just, it's a little offline, but it's there, Right? Like, uh, Bo Naylor probably should come up with this ball. It would have been a probably a nasty collision. Like, he puts Bo Naylor in a terrible spot for the play at the plate. But, I mean, it was – the throw wasn't offline by very much. So, I don't know if I can give Quan an error on that. Um, that's a pretty rough call there. But, uh, so, sloppiness all around. You also had the play where – uh Rokio was like running back, uh, running back to first base after a line drive was caught, trying not to get doubled up, and he ends up overrunning first base uh, a little bit. His momentum carries him past the bag. He, he stays on his feet. He doesn't slide. That probably didn't help. Um, but he kind of oversteps the bag, and then when he turns to go to second on the overthrow, doesn't retouch the bag. So therefore, he's called out because he did not return to the bag properly. I mean, literally, the umpire is out there explaining it to him like what he did wrong uh after the review comes down so just i mean things like that all night uh, that's that's the disappointing part of this game that's that's the negatives in this game right Uh, sloppy game like we said it was a sloppy game by the guardians and you you really need to be able to mash if you're if you're gonna make up for that many mistakes which this team can't do this team doesn't do so uh, it's really hard to ever overcome all that. There were some positives in this game. Obviously, we already talked about Gabriel Arias having a home run off of a left-handed pitcher. Uh, it'd be his only hit on the night, unfortunately. Um, yeah, I think it's encouraging that, you know, Ramirez stays hot in the two hole with the two hits in the RBI. I thought it was nice to see Loriano mash against the lefty, even if the home run is stolen off of him. That's valuable. That, there's value there. Uh, Rokio actually went three for four on the night. So good to see there. Um, and then, uh, Miles straw, I give him credit. His splits aren't, aren't good against lefties versus righties. He pretty much hits both poorly. Uh, but he does go two for three on the night with the run scored. So, uh, and, and, and an aggressive move on the base pass where he tagged up from first on a fly ball and went to second, which allowed Ramirez to drive him in. So, uh, I I would say a pretty decent game for Miles Straw there. So I'll give him credit. So there were some things worth mentioning offensively for this team. The other thing that was encouraging was uh Sam Hench is out of the bullpen. Uh he gets into some serious trouble here in the uh eighth inning, and he's able to get out of it without giving up any runs. Uh so uh he had some pretty uh pretty nasty strikeouts too. So uh, let's go here. Uh, Let's reset this chart and let's take a look at these at-bats. It starts with Matt McClain. Uh, He's stuck in the middle of the plate here against McClain. I mean, literally three pitches in the exact same spot. He can't be doing that, Sam Hentges. So he's kind of got to shake off uh, the rust against the first batters here. Uh, I mean, literally middle-away curveball, middle-away fastball, and then middle-away curveball Again, these three pitches are stacked up on top of each other in the illustrator here. So no wonder McLean is able to single on a ground ball to uh, center field and shoot it back up the middle. He literally has him looking in the exact same location. If this thing's at the knees, he probably has a strikeout. The first pitch goes for a called strike. The second one was foul tipped. And then that third cur- uh, that third pitch, the curveball, he hits for the single. Okay, get out of the middle of the plate, Sam Hatches. No problem. L.A. De La Cruz is up. He's pitching to the corners. He's actually hitting that outside corner. De La Cruz is sitting on it, and he cannot get a called strike from this umpire. I mean, it is brutal how in the strike zone that third pitch fastball was down at the knees, and he does not get the call. It's it's a good... The problem was Bo Naylor was set up inside, and I, I think... I think the fact that Bo Naylor had to reach across his body and reach across the plate to catch this has no ability to actually frame it. I think that fooled the umpire. I think the umpire saw the catcher lunge across his body and reacted ball instead of reading the pitch and seeing that this pitch was over the outside corner of the plate and just calling the pitch. I think he called the catcher, not the pitch. Then they get throws a curveball at the top of the zone, which, frankly, he drops in there for a strike. It's right at the top of the strike zone. It should be called a strike. It's called a ball. And then he misses away with a fastball and ends up walking De La Cruz. I mean, De La Cruz has no reason to swing at this point. He's got the tiniest strike zone ever in the history of baseball uh, in this at-bat. Okay, so that's ugly, right? That's ugly. Then they do the double steal on him, but then he uh, he goes to work. Uh, he gets those curveballs down against Spencer Steer, gets him down, Below the knees, he ends up popping up a curveball into center field. The runners can't advance. Then he goes to work against Joey Votto. Just uh, pounding lefty on lefty, pounding sliders in the strike zone. Paints one right at the knees for a called strike. Throws another one off the plate. Comes back uh, with an inside slider uh, that's kind of up. That was probably the pitch for Votto to go after. Uh, and he can't pull the trigger on it. Then goes curveball down below the knees. He lays off it. Another slider down at the knees that he fouls off. So he's throwing up slider, 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 curveball, slider, and then boom, 95-mile-per-hour fastball on the outside edge. Wonder what Joey Votto was expecting in this pitch. Maybe another slider. Uh, But absolutely nails the outside half of the plate and locks him up with a fastball and gets the called strike this time. And then uh, that strikes out Votto. And then Christian Encarnacion Strand, Um, I I feel, I mean, this is the longest name ever, right? I just, every time I see Christian Encarnacion Strand's name, every time it's said, I just think of those old Scantron tests you had to take, where you had to fill in your name in the little bubbles. There were only so many bubbles for you to fill your name in. I got to imagine he had to raise his hand every time and be like, "Uh, teacher, can't fit my name. Uh, He probably, I mean, imagine all the forms you have to fill out in life. How does this guy fit his name uh, in any of those forms? It's just, it might be the longest name in baseball. Uh, (laughs) So uh, Encarnacion Strand, uh, he attacks him with curveballs. My God. Uh, Misses off the plate with a curveball down and in, and he's attacking in at his knees with that curveball, letting it sweep all the way across the zone uh, to the glove side of the plate in on that right-hand hitter. He misses with the first one, comes back with a high fastball that he gets him to swing through. Comes back with another low curveball. It's below the zone, but it's on the plate, and he swings over it for strike two. Then he wastes one. He throws one in the dirt, uh, throws a slider in the dirt, can't get him to chase. Comes back with a curveball that is, ooh, just slightly, maybe just off the black, just a little bit off the edge of the plate, but gets the call finally from this umpire and gets him locked up for strike three. So, uh, Ed Carnacion Strand did not believe that he could throw a curveball in the strike zone, and he pays for it. Um, so a huge job by Henches there. I mean, you wish the Guardians' offense was a little more in the game, but after those first two guys get on, and after he got squeezed on Ellie De La Cruz's at bat, to see him not crumble, to see him actually bear down and get these two strikeouts to end the inning, I was impressed. So there is my positive for the day, Sam Henches there. Uh, getting that big strikeout. Uh, that's all my thoughts. Uh, that's all my thoughts on this one. Unfortunately, the Guardians kind of got their butts kicked. Uh, they Their offense couldn't really make it much of a game. And uh, the Reds have a pretty easy win. I will say, I started listening on the radio. I switched over to the TV broadcast. I thought that... Uh, oh, who was in the box with Underwood there? Uh, you know, I thought that uh, he, he, he did bring some good insight into the game. Right, he did bring some good comments, but without Rick Manning there to kind of curtail Matt Underwood, my god, does Underwood just absolutely freelance in the booth. I mean, he monologues, he goes on and on and on. It's like he's literally hosting a podcast when he's supposed to be calling a baseball game. And I just I think having the veteran uh Rick Manning in there just to it just it just keeps the reins on Underwood a little bit uh, but man, I mean they were just absolutely going on and on about uh, the rookies and oh you know yeah yeah they're so young and they, they've they've had more at bats in the major leagues than they've even had in the minor leagues and you gotta be patient with them. And I'm thinking to myself this whole time, there is a solution for that. like they're talking like we the fans. Have to be patient with that. But they left out the other side of the story, which is, you know, the front office owns some responsibility in this. The fact that this team is just, I mean, loaded, loaded with first and second year players that have barely any minor league experience. Oh, they talked about all the minor league at bats that Jose Ramirez had before he came up, and you're able to hone your craft with all those with the only 2,000 minor league at bats or something like that. So by the time you come up to the majors, you're ready. You're a complete developed hitter. And these guys aren't. They don't have those at-bats. That's the front office's fault. Like Nobody told this front office that they had to play all these rookies, that they had to build their entire team around acquiring rookies and having no veterans left to actually be in this lineup, that the rookies would have to be called on so young. That's the front office's fault. They could have gone out and signed players. They could have built a team around Jose Ramirez and, uh, you know, a team around uh, Ahmed Rosario and a team around Josh Bell. And and they could have gone out and then maybe a pepper in a rookie or two, like most franchises do. Most franchises are leaning on maybe one, two rookies at a time not an entire lineup of rookies, an entire starting rotation of rookies. I mean maybe maybe 3 to 4 years down the line, this is going to pay dividends. And these guys are all going to be seasoned and they're all going to mash and we're going to look back on this and go wow, you know, this team really came together. You're also going to look at this and go, wow, they have so many guys they have to pay. How are they ever going to afford to keep all these guys? Because they brought all these rookies up at the same time, and now they're all due money at the same time. That's going to be another problem down the line. But I just, for Underwood to go on and on about, oh, be patient with these rookies. Like, no, 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 As fans, we deserve a competitive team out there. It's the front office that put us in this situation where we're literally relying on rookies all over the field. So, because I love this team and because I do this podcast, I I am going to be patient with the rookies, but I don't expect I don't expect every fan to be right. I, it's totally reasonable if you're not patient with these rookies, uh, if you're frustrated with this front office for putting us in this situation. It's very reasonable. All right, uh, that is my counter response to Matt Underwood's. Uh, monologuing last night. All right. You know, that's all my thoughts. I'm going to call it right there. Uh, Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland baseball morning. Again, the final uh, it's the Cincinnati Reds seven, the Cleveland guardians two. If we're going to win this Ohio cup and you know how important the Ohio cup is to me, (laughs) uh, we're going to have to win some games at home coming up later, uh, later this season against the reds. Uh, You can follow me on Twitter at Davey barris. You can email the show at cleveland baseball mornings at gmail.com. Uh, we did get an email from Marlon. Uh, Marlon, sorry to cut you off here. Uh, where are the rest of the emailers? Come on now. You guys used to... You were filling up my inbox for a while there in the middle of the season. So hit me up. Uh, oh, MVP on the day. We forgot MVP on the day. Oh, my God. Okay, hang on. Go back. Uh, Marlon, uh, in his email, uh, I mean, basically basically said that some of the things we were already talking about. Uh, it was Thor's worst performance since being acquired. Bo Naylor had by far and away his worst overall game of the season. Uh, he looked bad at the plate, It had a couple of poor throws on steal attempts and an inexplicable error on a drop ball on what should have been an inning-ending double play in the fifth inning. Hopefully, he won't dwell on this and get him down. Shout-out to TJ Friedel on a couple of phenomenal web gems in center field. He robbed Loriano of a two-run homer and Oscar Gonzalez of either a double or a triple. Yeah, it would have been something off the wall for Oscar Gonzalez. Uh, so, yeah. So, the thing, the inexplicable error, I, honestly... It's not that inexplicable. I just, I think it just happens. I think it happens to everybody. Everybody has a moment during the season where they do something. I mean, we saw who was a Ben Attendee, right, when we were playing the White Sox in left field, had one that just popped right out of his glove. I think you're just – everybody at some point in the season has one where they go, I, I don't know what happened. I I was there. I saw it, and it just pops right out of my glove. I think, I think everybody gets one. In the season, and this was bone nailers. Uh, so thank you, thank you for the email, Marlin, and uh, rest of you, fill it up. Uh, MVP on the day. Uh, oof, God, it's there's not much to choose from here. I mean, it was nice to see Arias hit that home run. Uh, like I said, Straw had a decent day. So did Roki Ramirez. I, I think I'm going to go with Sam Hedges, uh, but it didn't. At that point, the value wasn't there, uh, right? I thought I was impressed with Hedges' pitching performance, but. We were already down 7-2. to All right, so MVP on the day. I guess I'm going to have to go with... uh, All right, Gabriel Arias hits a home run off a lefty. We needed that from him. We needed it. Just uh, the timing in the game, it doesn't really move the line all that much. So Gabriel Arias taking home MVP on the day. All right, like I said, email me at clevelandbaseballmornings at gmail.com. Uh, You can also, I'm also hosting this podcast on Spotify. If you want, you can leave a voicemail for the show. We'll uh, play it back in the air, respond to your thoughts, and have a fun conversation amongst the fans about baseball. So thanks again for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning.